Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome our wonderful panel. First up, we have Peter Morgan, creator of The Crown, Suzanne Mackey, executive producer, Ben Curran, director, and Vanessa Kirby. Thank you all for being here. Thank you guys for sparing your time to come here and chat with us this evening. Um, we are going to open out to the audience at the end. So um, if you have got questions, get your hands up sharpish. Uh, don't be shy because I hate to do that thing where you ask for a question and no one puts their hand up. And then you say last question, everyone's hand goes up. <laughs> don't waste your time. Um, once Peter sorted everyone out with drinks. That's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> super. <laughs> um, listen, thank you so much. And first of all, I, I mean, I think we should start by saying congratulations as well, because, you know, this is a world that we, we love and we've all kind of grown up with and stuff. But to, to have the opportunity to have it dramatised uh, by you guys has been a, a huge success. Peter, I, I, I'd like to go back to the start, please. What made you want to tell these stories? Uh, hello. Um, uh, I well, listen. I I I am continue. I'm still sl slightly embarrassed to, to be writing about these people and uh, and to find myself still doing this. And uh, I yearn to write a heist movie. <laughs> <laughs> there must uh, be an element of heist at some point involved in the Crown and the Royal. <laughs> It, I, I, you know, I, I dream of an of an all male cast with guns and violence and no words and profanity and. Uh, but instead, I write these slightly uptight sentences with everybody being cruel to one another and. Uh, uh, oh, but, you understand yourself. But it's sounding yourself. quite polite and. Uh, no, I, I, I. It started when I was doing the play, The Audience, and uh, you know, which was a series of. Um, audiences between the Queen and different Prime Ministers. And the one between the Queen and Churchill felt like it had more mileage in it. You know, there was this, you know... And I thought, well, we don't think of her as a young woman. Mm. And and he, he, he was at the end of his political uh, career, and she was at the very beginning of, of, of her... Rain and and I thought, wow, that's you know, there was something lovely in 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 in, in the grandfather granddaughter paradigm, and and then I, I started thinking about all her prime ministers, and I think I should say that I would never want to write about the royal family. I don't think of myself as writing about the royal family. I think of myself as writing about Buckingham Palace and Downing Street, mm -hmm. and yes, I think it tips more towards Buckingham Palace because I think we gravitate towards her more. She's the constant, and so when we, when we, when we're constant, when we're writing stuff and and and, and editing stuff, she's the centre of gravity that we keep going back to. So that's why there seems to be more about her. But I couldn't do it without. Downing Street, and without you know the, the tent pole, as it were, that you know is is the relationship between her and and whichever prime minister it happens to be, and that hadn't been I hadn't exhausted myself in that interest and that passion, and um, and so I, I I started doing that with Churchill, and then I suddenly thought, well, where do you start this story? Do you start it with her already as queen, going to her first audience with with him? Or, 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 or wait a minute, but then her father has to die and she has to become queen. And then, oh my God, his death was quite interesting because no one expected it. And then at what point? And then he must have known. And did you know that he was operated on in Buckingham Palace? And, you know, it started like that. And then I thought, well, it'll only be one season. <laughs> and then it just sort of, it just, you know, does it just does get more and more interesting. The, the clo if Rather than, you know, people would say, haven't you, haven't you had enough? And part of me has, but it actually does also get more and more interesting the closer you look and the longer you give it. And the truth is, if, if I gave it the same time again, um, I'd still find lots of stories to tell. Someone, I, I read someone say, um, it was a great line, uh, true stories are the best teachers, which I really liked. And I think that because this is the, you know, this, this family that, that, God knows everything has happened to them and happens to them forms the backbone of this wonderful thing that you've created. It's a dramatization. You're not a, you're not a documentarian. This is, you know, you're you're 
this is what they i think they link us in, in, in you know they connect all of us and i say you know i say this i i don't think of myself in any shape or form as an expert on them or indeed on the constitution or indeed on on the 20th century second half of the 20th century but i do think there's something really interesting and profound about the way our all of our lives are interconnected with theirs in some shape or form. they you know they have they are they are at, at some level the thing that unites all of us whether it's our grandparents our parents our children we've all you know she's been there as a constant for everyone and this family has been there but particularly her face her that that mm. face whatever you may feel about them about monarchy about everything we've lived with well not just we everyone in the world but you know particularly the 53 countries of the commonwealth we've lived with this very special relationship with this with this extraordinary woman and whatever you may feel about it you know unknowable very knowable ridiculous system you know trans, you know should it be got away with should it you know does it have greater currency now than ever in, with the failing of so much of political life um, it never stops binding us all together and one of the things that's been quite interesting to watch is how different generations have connected with the show um, I thought I could narrow down very specifically. I thought, I, to be honest with you, this is crass, but I thought this would appeal largely to educated, mainly female, <laughs> over 40. That's what I thought, you know, partly because of the connection with... I thought it would be degree-educated, over 40, female. That's what I assumed. And it's complete... All the, 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 the feedback and the research is, suggests it's completely different. You know, uh, uh, and 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 I think that speaks to the unconscious current that 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 her face, her presence has in all our lives. You know, Zan, you kind of like the you know the, the glue between all of this in terms of 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 you know as an exec producer on the Crown, I imagine you are one of the busiest people in the entire production. Um, I am. Yes, I mean, my, yeah, no, I am. I am, and I, I. Yeah, and it's it's a fantastic privilege to be in that place, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I think, I mean, Peter said right at the very beginning that the scale and the demands of the crown, is, it, it really means that one has to lead a very monogamous life uh, professionally. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and in a way, I think, you know, as he's pledged to do that, I am too i think i think that's right i think great great work that peter is producing deserves great support and that's the only way you know that you, you stand together and you you really work together as a team and you're 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 there you roll your sleeves up and you get in and you you surround yourself with huge talent and that that's the director's and obviously the writing and 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 the actors and and you you support that and you make it happen Absolutely, and in terms of, of just going back to that that scene yeah. that we saw in the editing, and yeah. that and that's one other great craft within the crown as well. It's the editing, and you know, there's 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 as I say, so much going on within that one scene, which could have quite easily have just been that banquet dinner scene, but then you know, it's intercut with all these Perf other perfect sort of marriage of the political and the personal. You know, both are profound in that moment, mm. and both are significant. Elements of that of that particular episode, and um, I think it was a, a brilliant moment of bringing those two. Um, in many ways, they 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 sort of uh, embody the crown, if you like. But that was a moment where um, I think we knew something was missing from that episode, and and that that's when we all banded together and said mm -hmm. we need to go back out and we need to do some more. And you know, those decisions aren't taken lightly; they're taken heavily. Yeah. It, 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 it started on the it started on the Queen actually where uh, we, we we did the first um, cut of the Queen the film with Helen Mirren with, with uh, uh, in you know we finished it in two thousand five and we looked at it and we showed it to we showed it to the producers and they said look this is it's it's okay but it's it isn't quite an Oscar performance for Helen and and uh, we Not need. Quite. <laughs> you know the way we'll market this is to is to really let let, let Helen have a showpiece and uh, and 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 so they said will you 
would you, is there anything extra you'd like to, to do? And so we actually, I craftily wrote, because Stephen Frears and I both thought, well, the Queen isn't going to start throwing China against the wall. Mr. Blair. <laughs> I have an Oscar-winning speech to give at this moment. <laughs> um, Catch my saucer. <laughs> I said, she doesn't really say anything, you know. Um, so we've spent four or five days shooting extra scenes of Tony Blair. And, um, and that's where I learned this, you know, the, the benefits of reshoots. And, and, and sort of once, once you, write a, you write a script and then you shoot the script and then horribly it turns out to be something completely different. And you then have to adjust to the fact that it's some, become something else. It's no longer the script. No matter how faithfully you've shot it, it is embarked on its own new life, and and um, and you have to adjust to that. You, you you have to adjust to that accordingly. And so, one of the things I said on the Crown was that you know, one of the things I insisted upon was that we we is is that is that we get reshoot time with every episode. That that every episode gets a chance to completely and utterly examine it in a, a different way. And and so that leads me into this whole business of cinematic television and, and where we are now. And um, I, I, I honestly, just the process that Ben was describing, I don't think anything we do on The Crown is different from the way in which I made Frost Nixon or The Last King Scotland or The Queen or whatever, that it's the same level of rigour and the same layer after layer after layer. And, and, and those, you know, like, the, like Suzanne was saying about, you know, it, you, you don't fluke on it first time, you know, writing it. You write terribly first, and then you do another pass, and it's like a little better, and you keep doing coats of paint in the hope that the paint... And, and, and a wall that's been painted 15 times just looks better than a wall that's been painted once. And, uh, and that's the difficult thing, is to try and do that in this new era where television is no longer television. It's become this different thing. And, and we all have different expectations and hopes for it. Um, uh, you know, and so we reshooting, which I don't think you get the privilege to do in, on many television budgets, is something that you know is, is one of one of the main advantages of having a bit more money is is to be able to factor that into our production schedule. It's the most wonderful kind of um, depth into people and relationships. That's kind of when you strip it all back and you take everything away. That's that's what it's about, I, I think, and. Vanessa, I could. I, I really hope there's a Margaret spin-off just with you, because I could just watch you for hours and hours. And it's just wonderful to see. Uh, I mean, her, this character, kind of just go to every corner really and bounce back again as, as she had. What's 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 been the biggest challenge for you in bringing that character to life, and what have you enjoyed the most? Um, try not to over egg it all the time. Peter at the very beginning went, just do less. Whatever you do, just do less and then do less again and then do less again. Um, <clears throat> I think the biggest challenge probably, especially to begin with the first season, was because um, we were filming it often out of sequence. So we did it in blocks, but sometimes I think we started with the very first scene Claire and I did was a scene in episode 10 um, in Scotland because that's what yeah. the, we had the location. It was it was summer, wasn't it, or something, so it was better to shoot then. And I, Claire and I were so terrified. It was like the windiest day ever on record in Scotland. We had these headscarves on. They were blowing everywhere and the scones <laughs> were going everywhere. And <clears throat> I think Claire and I had to ADR the entire thing because we were both speaking like this because we were so nervous. Um, and uh, I think it was like really making sure that I totally understood her journey from the 17-year-old <laughs> at the wedding right the way through until the end of season two when she's 34 something I don't know <laughs> I remember going into my first audition with with the Philip Martin I had all these books and I was like because of course she starts off at 17 and they both I don't think they quite clocked that and then they looked at my face they were like oh um, and I was like oh fuck I've just lost the part um but <laughs> I was like but then she's 21 like scene two so you know like skips the time um but, uh, yeah, so it was charting that, really, and making sure that, you know, every time I said, oh, I'm, to somebody, they were asking, oh, you, I've heard you're playing Margaret. God, she was awful. God, she was such a battle act. God, she was a nightmare. And I just, I was like, I, 
I understand her reputation and there's something amazing about that. And I think a lot of what people tend to like about her is that she's so kind of unapologetically herself and very rude. And, um, but it was the finding the girl behind that, who then became that person and, and kind of charting the truth of, of, of pain that comes with that. And that makes you hard and it makes you hostile or look down on people or, or, you know, build a million walls between you and, really showing the vulnerability and um so it was it was that really setting that up and making sure that I didn't preempt because I would have loved as Peter knows to play the absolute dragon I was like dying to play her later on <laughs> um, but uh I had to kind of hold back on that and try and work out that journey and, and then playing it out of sequence it's meant yeah long-winded answer it's a very good answer but getting the opportunity as an actor to play a character same character over a number of years it's not an opportunity you get that often so a wonderful toy to play with but the best I just that's what I loved so much about knowing that I could do it for two seasons and like grow up with somebody and try and really because by the time it came to season two I felt like I knew her you know and that was amazing you don't get that um and even when you do a play you get time but you get the same amount of time so to have that and if it was a film she'd be in the background drunk smoking so you know like for 30 seconds you know so it was an amazing gift to be able to play somebody for so, yeah, she gets her moments. That's another clever thing about it is the tone. There are, you know, there are these wonderful comedic moments that kind of pop up and this light and shade that is continually throughout. Is that an easy thing to do? Um, uh, I, 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 I don't, I mean, I don't, it, it, I think it's just part of being English, isn't it? I mean, it's just sort of British. It's just so naturally part of who we are and how we are and the way we go about things and... I'm always struck, you know, I spend a lot of my time going to Vienna and they don't. Um, I mean, no, it's just not in the same way. You still go. You know, <laughs> no, I mean, it, I, I just think we deal, you know, it's just what we do. We deal with so much of being, you know, so much of our being serious is done through comedy and, and, and there's so much, it's so valued here. You know, it's almost the highest compliment you can give anyone is he's got a good sense of music. He's, mm. he's a fascist, but he's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, so... Uh, uh, no names. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, I, I think you couldn't... It, it wouldn't be as quintessentially British as this if it, if it didn't. And was that, was that a way of almost humanising these characters as well? Because, you know, I think, you know... As, as I keep referring to them, you know, as, as the royals and stuff, and obviously, you know, they're the backdrop of this story. What, what's fact and fiction? You know, it's whatever. But we never really... I don't think we really think about them as being funny people or, you know, being in situations where they're cracking gags and stuff. And so I see that as a real human trait, really. And, and so well, by introducing that... Although I think that Prince Philip, you know, frequently people oversimplify him by only focusing on his humour and, and, and actually, a, a, you know, a, a, an extremely complex and interesting man is reduced by being always thought of as a bloke who makes unfortunate remarks here or there or whatever. And, and um, actually one of the great pleasures of the show has been to, has been to explore how interesting he is mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, th- I remember at the time of his uh, uh, his retirement recently, where it, it was announced that he wasn't doing any more public engagements, uh, I, w- I was sort of horrified by how uninteresting most of the profile pieces were about him. And and um, and I thought, you know, I mean, you know, whatever one may think about, you know, somewhat a brusque manner sometimes, right, um, or certainly very changeable. Like the weather today, you know, you don't know what you're going to get with him. <laughs> he, it, his background and 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 what he's been through, it's it, it's 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 absolutely breathtaking. And um, uh, and and I, I certainly think certainly thinking about the second season, you know, some of the episodes where we explore his childhood yeah. and, and explore, you know, and we're going to carry on doing that in the seasons as they evolve. There are, you know. Um, it, it's it's sort of st- some of my favourite stuff to write. I get very excited whenever I think about writing Prince Philip and and hopefully putting a bit more meat on the bone of what we all know and uh, about him. And just how he's been brought to life by Matt Smith's yeah. portrayal of him as well is. I mean, it's just 
that the casting in it is just incredible and stuff. Susanna, can you talk us a little bit about you know these first two seasons and, and casting it and and well, these yeah, I mean, what have become iconic roles now yes, and performances. Yes, I mean, well, I mean, Nina Gold is so so brilliant and clever and often offers up slightly counterintuitive suggestions, which are always smart and always coming from the right place. And um, no, I you know I think it, that well, I mean, finding Claire and Matt and and knew uh, were just uh, wonderful. I mean, we all knew it when we saw it. I think you went on a, on, a, on an interesting journey, actually, because we had someone else in mind, and you we did. met... <laughs> My fault, sorry. No, I knew awkward. I'd seen Vanessa at the National Theatre, and I thought she was extraordinary. But um, we, we had new in mind for someone else. Much name, smaller than uh, Vanessa, sorry, new to those that love um, and, and and we saw her audition for, for this uh, smaller part, a nice part, but a small part, comparatively. And then... Um, the sec- we, do you remember the... Sec- I don't know if you've episode seen Episode four the of season... who gets... One. Venetia. Who, who gets killed. Who gets hit in the fog. That, well, that was... You were originally... And we watched her and we were like, why are we giving her one time? I mean, God almighty, she's fantastic. So... Um, but no, the casting generally is, is it's, you know, and Lithgow was a, well, that was a, a, a very clever suggestion of Nina's, as was Jared Harris. And the minute we saw Jared playing the king and that, that first cough and everything that that cough, <laughs> that cough symbolised so much and it felt, it felt sort of visceral and big and bold and, and then Peter wrote the word cunt in the first scene and it was like, oh, yes, this is, this is going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> Jared actually went and got ill as well. He went and like he said he went on the tube and like licked his seats. <laughs> I was like, that's really unfair because I was like, everyone's gonna think you're really good at fake coughing. It's actually real, so I need to spread that. Yeah, no, it was a good cough. That was the Oscar of coughing. Do you remember Mustache Gate? So we <laughs> oh, then we did. We then did. To, we had to reshoot something, and then uh, so we said, well, we uh, we'll need Jared Harris back, and 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 he said, yes, I, I'll come back. I just think you need to know I have a mustache. <laughs> and we you said, can't. You said, but the king doesn't have a moustache. He went, but I have a moustache. <laughs> and so then, so he was filming another movie at the time. So we rang the director. Um, oh, he's an incredibly famous director. His name escapes me for a minute, but he's a super famous director. And we rang him up. We said, would it be possible to have Jared Harris? I mean, the emails that went back and forth. Over this, and and uh, we desperately, Jared says, oh, yes, we'd very much like to help. And but but he has this moustache. And the director said. Can he shave it off? We hate the moustache. <laughs> uh, we said, yeah, well, who's going to tell him? Are you going to tell him or we're going to tell him? We said, no one wants the moustache, Jared. And Jared said, I want the moustache. <laughs> it was madness, madness. Pages of emails. That's right. Oh. We kept it. We, we framed it, the little moustache <laughs> that finally came off. Didn't, didn't you send him a bottle of whiskey and a shaving kit? Yeah, we yeah. did. <laughs> When it comes when it comes to those relationships, so with those characters who play alongside each other, and and the chemistry between them is, is absolutely electric. Did you do a lot of kind of chemistry testing once you'd cast people, or before you'd finally cast people? Matt, Matt and Claire, we Matt did. Claire, Matt and Claire, yeah. it was really oh, instantly obvious, yeah. and 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 I had been. It's I you know I'm ashamed to admit I'd probably been I, I needed persuading about Matt Smith, and and then I saw him with with, with you know with 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 Claire, and it was just. You know, Astonishing, yeah, instant. Yeah. Their chemistry, separate, completely. And a friend of mine said, "I don't fancy Prince Philip, and I don't fancy Matt Smith, but I really fancy <laughs> Matt Smith as Prince Philip." <laughs> <laughs> and and there was something in his movement, and something he, he, uh, he, he, he was he it was tra- it was slightly transformative, and that was it was fa- really fantastic. I love the relationship. That, that you and Matt have on, on screen as well because they're almost like kindred spirits in a way they're kind of going through really sort of similar things in the background and the shadows who feel like they deserve their moment and stuff as well is that fun to to play with Matt on that yeah we always wanted more scenes I think we kept asking Peter can we just have a scene together and then we did unlike one... any other actor ever <laughs> <laughs> I feel I need an enormous <laughs> can we just give me less to do <laughs> Camera going in slow <laughs> for an hour. 
Who are these other people? <laughs> we just have the Margaret episode. Yeah. <laughs> the Margaret and Philip episode. <laughs> well, anyway, it worked. <laughs> and it was at the end of season one, and um, we're commiserating about how annoying the Queen's being. And um, it says she adjusts his tie. And I couldn't do it in a non-sexual way for some reason. And Philip Mart, I kept, I kept sort of... It was too intimate. And I kept giving this weird lingering look. And it was meant to be just like a, like a brother-in-law, friendshipy type thing. And Philip Mart kept me like, you're rewriting history. You need to not... <laughs> so there was a kindred spirit there for sure. Maybe in another realm, those guys would have had a hoot. <laughs> I confessed to falling in love with Pip. And... Um, and it started at a read-through. We, we did a, uh, an yeah. early read-through, and I think he came in. I can't remember which part he came in for, but it's his particular... It's, it's, an anthropolo- it's an anthropological thing. I mean, when Pip spoke, I felt transported back to Edwardian Britain. And I, I don't know how he conducts his life in 2018 as an, ad- <laughs> as, as, as an, ad- as an Edwardian Britain. But um, uh, he, that, that's pretty Pip. Um, uh, <laughs> And and where, where, you know, I, I just I just wanted to write for him. I mean, I you know, I I I, I, I believe the part of Tommy Lassell's grew, uh, uh, you know, uh, because every time I sort of thought to myself, well, particularly when you're trying to do the story of of a young woman trying to find her way, mm-hmm. and her father's gone, so who is going to be telling uh, you know, and and maybe the part of the Queen Mother suffered slightly because. I, I gave her this all, you know, through Winston and through Tommy, um, uh, but I figured that the, there would be a softness to the Queen Mum, and her relationship with the Queen was famously very positive. And 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 actually, Tommy was scary, you know. The, the, you know, yeah. the, his attitude to the Crown, uh, particularly having been private secretary to, um, uh, you know, who had. Her uncle, who became yeah. the Duke of, you know, Duke of uh, Windsor, he, he uh, and, and never ever to let that lack of discipline uh, creep in again. And I thought, I thought, well, he's sort of our, he's as close to a baddie as we can get. Um, so protective of the crown. Yeah. That's and as close as I got to the heist movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Tommy, Tommy with a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, but then, what I loved about the the decision in episode. 206 so season episode six of season two was to then give just a tiny glimpse into possibly why with the Marbeg papers and the the the, the revelation about yeah. the duke of windsor's um very very unsavory associations with the nazi party and hitler and to know that tommy lassels actually knew it and channeled it and felt it deeply and actually to, you know pip i'm talking to pip about that and that the responsibility of of then playing the man that had had all that in him, um, you know, there's so 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 much complexity beyond. And then he'd just... served four monarchs as well, so it was he was a really yeah. useful. He was a fantastic character yeah. to have, you know, George V, Edward VIII, George VI, and and, and, and the Queen. And, um, so I, we, I loved writing for him. He loved doing it. Yeah, and we all loved he filming. asked for loads of scenes, extra scenes. By <laughs> well, the way, he kept being like. You know, when Lassels retires, well, I read that he, he bumped into Margaret yes. with a wheelbarrow. I think we should put that one in. I was like, yeah, let's definitely put that one in. <laughs> I like when you saw him with his toy soldiers and oh, yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, it just tells you a lot about the character, really. <laughs> it's about his emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still playing with soldiers. Um, from the off, the scale and the ambition of, of this was was huge. And it kind of had to be to to live up to this world really you know in terms of of how it was shot but where you shot and how you replicated or or showed all those their world really and stuff was was that a I imagine that was quite a, a tough thing to to decide yeah. where you know and, and how you covered that <coughs> yeah I, there was there was a very critical moment right at the beginning actually when um as we started filming or rather as we were in sort of heavy prep when we we, we were you know, we, the ambition was to shoot as much as possible at Elstree, and we'd taken over two studios there um, and, and had built. And I think it was Philip Martin who was the first director, wasn't he, on the first block, um, saying we're going to need we're going to need higher ceilings, we're going to need greater depth. And we all thought, oh, 
God, this can only mean one thing, which is we're going to have to go out on location and find houses that that give you that that scale. And it was it was absolutely the right decision. And I remember Andy Harrison and and myself and um, Andrew Eaton. We all sat back, knowing you know, in that really serious sort of white knuckle moment of panic where the budget is is you know we, we've got to keep control here. And yet, it was such a compelling argument. And there is no doubt when you look at some of those scenes in season one and two where the rooms are big and majestic and authentic. And 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 a, and a painting in the back background is vast, and you have Claire, the Queen, sitting in front of it, small and and lonely and on her own. And suddenly, that's giving you proper. That's enforcing the narrative. That's really mm. enriching what Peter's trying to do, which is that it's just it's 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 nuanced and psychological and big, and then it's about people and and that you realise that it was a great decision. Um, and then he writes about the Britannia. Yeah. And then, he, <laughs> and then the trip to Tonga and Yeah. Yeah, which happened, which we did in Chiswick or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we didn't should. go to Tonga, we didn't get a boat. That, that uh, we're, uh, but we're, we're strangely actually so that the speech that you saw uh new give Vanessa give earlier um was in Woking. It was meant to be Rhodesia, and Matt and Claire went to South Africa, and I was like, they're going to fly me out any minute, because I know we're going to need an exterior of Margaret waving at the crowd. <laughs> and of course, then I was in Woking, freezing yeah. cold in the end. <laughs> so like, yeah. never, never got past Woking. And we shot some of the North Pole in Tring. And Sorry. it's also that kind of idea of, 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 an, of an actor as well, walking into a scene on one set, mm. the main crux of the scene is in another set, and then they exit... From an, it's, it's and tantalisingly, the the Britannia is up there. It's in Edinburgh. Sorry, it's in Edinburgh. Yeah, uh, it's just up the road. I went, I went <laughs> and spent a tragic day walking around it. And, and, Quite tragic. Well, no, no, you know, just being a sort, you know, just like a royal train watcher, and um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and there it is. It's so tantalisingly close, and uh, and yep, you know, it's. it's yeah. We photo map the. Britannia, and then use that to sort of do the, some of the big visual effects shots. Wow! And, um, and then we've got one of the islands, mm. the beach. This is all in South Africa. I think a lot of this was mainly shot down near Cape Town along that coast to Hermanus. The attention to detail is is very important. It, the authenticity. It, yeah, and 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 the heads of department we've got. Uh, yeah. You know, again, this is this goes back to this business of um, you know this new slightly new era that we're in at the moment. I mean, you know, the thing that we are able to offer people is that we are London-based, which is so nice. You know, so people you know who have families, whatever, they can they can work on on the show and stay at home instead of being you know sent to different parts of the world, and and uh, and you can have a stability. And and I think that's one of the great that's one of the one of the ways we're able to keep doing it and um and we've got fantastic heads of department you know the the art director and and, and the production managers and they've all come back and yeah. they're all staying with us um and and most of the editors Pierre. i mean you know people people have stayed with us we've become a feels like we've become a bit of a family i know that sounds um sentimental or romantic to say it but i mean that's one of the things i've found most rewarding about the crown is that we've 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 gathered together and we've stayed together and you're working with people that are just extraordinarily talented and committed and, and you know, can create things like the Britannia out of you know, just extraordinary um, attention to detail, as you say. Because I don't know, there's no way any of us are going to plead hardship, but no. none of the rumours of our budget were true. I mean, none of the rumours, and and it was sort of rather painful not being able to sort of say it. But 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 we don't have anything like we have perfectly healthy budget, mm -hmm. but nothing. I mean, there are many many television shows that have larger budgets, and but some for some reason we got tagged with something because I think people because because we did a deal for two seasons or whatever, people thought that's what we were getting per season. And, you know, it was because it looks so, so good. Well, that's because that's people work. That yeah. is, I promise people work around the clock. People work around the clock. Yeah. One of the things I we, we we as actors in the press, we always got asked about budget and how it felt to be on such a big budget thing. And it's like it was a really weird um, 
question because that from being inside it, the only thing that I noticed that was different to other jobs was that people were allowed to do their creative best to the best of their ability. And they were in, enabled to do that. And that included us talking about locations, being in those houses and actually going around to those houses. Eventually you kind of become immune to the scale of them. And then it starts feeling like it's your natural habitat of the character. Do you know what I mean? Was yeah. that Not me. But like, bring me my my house. And, oh. no, but, um, you don't, and, and in a way, like a bit like if you were to build a massive spaceship in Star Wars or something, and it, that became the, the sci-fi element. It, it, it was such an alien world to everybody that, except Major David, who was the consultant <laughs> on the whole thing, that um, it it became like part of the. Of, of experiencing how it would have felt like. So it didn't feel phony and it didn't feel like, oh, we're just using this costume that 10 other productions have already used. It meant that Michelle, the costume designer, and Jane this season could look at five different fabrics and we could lay them all out and be like, oh, I think this is Margaret. That's definitely not. And then have that process that was a really creative process as opposed to we're wearing this because it's super expensive and, you know, like all the sell well. It was never about that. It was like making sure that, you know, the art directors are incredible so that, you walked into Margaret's room and it was just like everything was perfect. How so it allowed me to imagine better, if that made sense. Yeah, yeah. it helped all of us as opposed to didn't and feel pretend as much. It was, took a while to find Tony actually, didn't it? We went we read with lots of different people and we the line that kept coming we kept we thinking that Margaret kept eating them for breakfast, so to speak. Because um uh, like as a person, I think she's she's quite a force in a way, just as a person. And so we had to find somebody that could like make her feel intimidated <clears throat> and that was quite hard um and matt could um and so we just i mean we just had such a nice time didn't we we really wanted to they had, they had to be matches for each other they had to push each other in ways that no one had ever done before um and i think for the first time in her life margaret really feels like a fish out of water because even with peter townsend she was still the one in charge and suddenly she's got somebody that's looking through her and it's incredibly sexy, but it's also very um, vulnerability-inducing. But yeah, we just laughed non-stop, really. Didn't we? <laughs> didn't we? A little bit. <laughs> Took a bit seriously, but yeah, we didn't laugh. In terms of, of bringing it up to you know that era as well, it felt like there was a real kind of switch in it as well in terms of of how things looked and what what parts of culture were being represented and things as well. Was that important to try and reflect that? Yeah, so that was that was nineteen fifty nine, I think, wasn't it? Something like that. So we were we were slowly easing our way into the sixties, and we were all very aware that we didn't want to sort of smack people around the head with the sort of sing, swinging sixties. And that that particular location was extraordinary. And Martin Charles, a wonderful designer, did an exceptional job. I mean, one of the you know we sort of looked at um, influences for, for you know what how could we. Uh, not borrow, but sort of homage to and blow up that Antonio film was sort of one of those films from that period where, you know, could we find a little bit of that that might um, slightly seep into, into the crown? Um, I mean, that that particular scene, um, I don't know if you remember, Peter, but we, we were sort of talking um, a few days before and, and I'd said that um, Tony apparently used to keep his subjects waiting um, for up to up to an hour, you know, wouldn't it be fun if we did that. And I didn't write that stuff about him upstairs and downstairs. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's just fantastic. Um, it's just fantastic. And, it's, and it's on the almost it's uncomfortably long as well. well it's yeah. kind of it's oh, just well, that went through. That went through a lot of. Yeah, well, on, on, I mean, on the day we were, I think we we took most of the morning, and at lunchtime, I think I remember the producer going, "Are we, we going to shoot the script today?" <laughs> like, they were banging yeah, around. We, we might get to that, but, uh, but uh, are you watching this? How extraordinary this was, and and. Uh, and, it, and, and then we got into the edit and, and actually for about pretty much until the last week, we had tried about 30 different music tracks over that over that piece. And and it was actually Peter, you know, in the final week, he said, have we tried it without music? And it was one of those mu- one of those moments where we all, Jan, the editor and I sort of looked at each other and felt like, yes, it's exactly what it should be. And I, I remember listening to... Lord uh, Snowden on Desert Island Discs and he said how much he hated music and it was really difficult for him to choose uh, music for, for Desert Island Discs and, and so actually that made so much sense just leaving them in silence as he sort of slowly strips away the trappings of the princess and, and puts slightly off kilter so um, yeah that's, that's it was many different incarnations with 
various different sort of poppy 60s musics that we were trying to... Do you know that house is actually where they filmed Dragon's Den? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. The very first... And just going to show how amazing the designers are to transform it. Make Make it it actually look good. Where's Deborah Meaden? (laughs) Coming out the I wanted to live there. That was... I I happily lived there. Having worked on this right from the very, very beginning, that Peter knew that at some point in season two we would have to inevitably discuss the Kennedys and JFK... And actually, the more interesting story was Jacqueline and her interaction with the Queen. And the minute he said that to us as a small little editorial team that meets almost every day with Peter, uh, it was it was that that was it. That was right. That was the right decision. It's always come at it, come at it tangentially, come at it at a different angle, come back to the Queen, tell that story rather than the maybe more obvious one, because then you're you're just depicting. You know, a... well, I thought she was just turning 40 at that point and she'd had three children. Or she wasn't quite 40, but nearly 40. And she had three children and and uh, Jackie Kennedy was on this spectacular world tour. And, and, and I just thought, God, you know, actually those first feelings of, you know, just as she's beginning to become a little bit more thick-ankled and a little stouter. <laughs> and that hair is becoming a little bit more of a sort of a helmet rather than a hairdo um, and and um, that, that actually to have Jackie Kennedy sitting opposite you speaking French and being fantastic and you know would I, I suddenly thought Ooh. Um, that, that, you know, that, that would be you know, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that felt to me like the subject of the, the whole was actually Elizabeth feeling um, frumpy. Yeah, in video. Yeah, yeah, you and know. the two most powerful women in the world meeting each other. Yeah. I remember watching that episode on a plane and when the the bit where she, where Elizabeth hears what Jackie said about her, I said it really louder than I should. I was like, bitch! That's a great scene. Yeah. Punk it. When I heard that, 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 uh, Jackie had said to her sister um, that she'd been fairly unimpressed by Buckingham Palace. Um, and I suddenly thought, of course, you know, because she, you know, uh, she comes from the White House, which is... Um, yeah. There are not many people that aren't dumbfounded when they go to Buckingham Palace. And, and she would be one person with her, you know, quite a sophisticated woman. Um, yeah. So here we go. It's a new, whole new series. You're about yeah. to start and embark on. Yeah. Uh, well, two, really. Two, yeah. yeah. We, we, you know, we're doing them back to back. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm writing them all at the moment. And a whole new cast. Mm-hmm. What can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> you mean, so, sorry to see Claire go. Everyone. And no. Everyone. And, and Pip. And Vanessa. I said no. <laughs> I said no. Mainly Pip. But mainly Pip. What can you tell us? What can you say about, about this, the third season? Well, the third season, I can tell you that it, that it starts in 1964 and, and that it ends in 1976 and that I've written some of the episodes and that I'm in the process of wanting to shoot myself and... <laughs> You know, it's just, it feels like a big mountain. You know, we've got uh, Olivia, which is fantastic, and now we're just embarking on the process of casting. And, um, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's sort of... socialist government for the Queen, so, you know, it's, it's interesting times. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Have I not given? Ben, yeah. but I, I mean, what can you say? I, nothing at nothing? all, okay. really. I mean, well, I mean, it's Harold Wilson. It's his tenure. Um, it's it's hard. A... It's hard to recast, but you know, you have to. Vanessa, don't to, cry. Once Please. you make, but you make. But the the funny the funny conversations actually have been. I mean, once we got our head around the fact that we were having to say goodbye to these wonderful people, and I really mean that because of course you work with each other for two years and you. You thoroughly get to know each other, and um, but once you've made that commitment, and there was a moment where I was saying things like, "But Peter, hang on, what if it's like the Archbishop of Canterbury? He's already seventy. We can't just cast an actor who's eighty. I mean, that's mad." But you want you have to sort of, um, it's all or nothing. You have yeah. to, every everyone has to change. So um, yeah, so even actors in their 
90s will suddenly be 94, but a different actor. Wow. Right then, my job is done. Who would like to ask some questions? Here we go. We've got a lady there. Have we got two mics or just the one? But yeah, if we can get a microphone there and then one over there as well. <laughs> I think you're going to have the microphone first, sir. So if you might hold in one second and I'm just going to go there first. Hello. Thanks very much. Very interesting to hear all about the show. Uh, Peter, if I could ask you a question, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about your writing process. Um, uh, sh- sure. I mean, um, in you know, in the, the, it's probably about a, a year, maybe a little bit more per season of, of, of writing time. And, and the first thing that I do is map it all out. And so the mapping out of the season, particularly now that, you know, people are watching anecdotally, you know, some of the information you get from Netflix is that the average amount of binge per human being is sort of 2.6 hours or something. I, I, I'm making that up, but uh, we have people from Netflix here. Rajiv, what, what, what is the average amount? Where is Rajiv? <laughs> <laughs> On the spot. Hi, Rajiv. What's the average? About two and a half. Yeah. Spot on. So, 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 so you know, so actually, you, so you sort of, I, I, I do, it, it does then make you look at a season and the way in which a season might flow in a slightly different way. You, you no longer have the imperative to drive towards commercial breaks. You no longer have the imperative to end on cliffhangers. You're not trying to hold an audience for the, for, for the whole week. And, and it gives you the opportunity to, to play with couplets, triplets, we have no particular time frame, so an episode can run long. I try and discourage that. There are some shows which, which run a 90-minute episode followed by a 50-minute episode. I, I, I don't like that. I think people still like a regularity. I'm speaking for myself. Um, and so uh, I, I am constantly thinking about the ingredients, like, you know, when you're, you know, and, 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 the, and, and the focus on the whole season is really the bit I enjoy the most. It's, it's a bit where I'm left completely alone. I mean, in, not alone, but because I'm always with researchers and I'm always with the, with the script team. But it's the bit where I still ha- I have the show and I, I, I don't have the production. And it's just lovely to be a writer, you know, uh, not a showrunner. And, um, and, and, and I will map out that for the first ten episodes and, and generally speaking, to overgeneralise, I will... You know, if we have to get ten, I will eventually come down to about twelve episodes, all of which I think are are indispensable. And then the business of losing two, or you know, uh, so that will be agony for a bit. And then finally, I'll have the shape of the season, which which I think also has to reflect what you're talking about about the tonal variety, and 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 offer the the scope. You can suddenly feel, oh my god, that would be a really pretty indigestible and quite painful episode. So you're following that with something because people, you don't need as many subplots because people, if they're watching two or three episodes, they're going to be juggling an aggregate 12 subplots if you're doing two or three per, per episode, you know. So you are thinking, I, I'm finding I'm thinking differently to the way I would have done in a pre-Netflix, a pre-streaming age. And, and then the rest of the time, I just, you know, in terms of the writing, a storyline each episode to about 15 pages. Um, and uh, I was with Michael Haneke over the weekend, and he said that for a two-hour film, he writes a 30-page or 35 or maximum 40-page script. And I'm trying with these coming seasons to, to shorten them. The, these scripts were all about 50, 55, maybe even 60 pages. And I think they were sometimes too busy, and I think that they were sometimes... Uh, uh, they had too much going on. They were too too indigestible. And I'd like to strip them down, pare them down to about 40, 45-page scripts to allow time to breathe and to allow time for Ben to do the sort of thing that Ben was doing to add some of that. It shouldn't all just be yada, 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 yada. A research Sorry, I just want to say one thing about being an actor involved in Peter's process is it's incredible to have a 10-hour thing written by one person, every single word, and that Pete would come on set and give me new lines all the night before because of some idea, new idea he'd had, as well as watching The Rushes, being on top of that, and writing the season two as he we were filming season one. It's like 
it, this is a genius, like a pure, well, pure it, genius. He hates it when I say that. <laughs> it's true. It's like a really, it, it's like. He still wants to get back in season three. <laughs> <laughs> so in that flashback, <laughs> you know that spin-off we were talking about, Eden? <laughs> see, but see a researcher, you've, 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 you've mapped out the entire season. Um, a researcher comes with a revelation. Researchers. Research, well, eight, yeah, one at a time comes with you to you with a, a piece of information. Going, I've just discovered this about a person. You know, within could that has that changed oh, the yeah, floor? Yeah, yeah. Being no, 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 all the time, and 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 that that process is ongoing. You know, so where where you know often, and this is where fact or fiction. You know, the, I mean, the good news about these characters is that for the most part, we 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 do know where they are most of the time. You know, you no, know, I mean, it's a matter of public record where they are. You can the dots, you know, j- j- just because of the court circulars or the matter of historic records or, or, or letters or, or whatever it is, you know where they were on which day and what they were doing on what day, and. And my job is to sort of join those dots. And if the dots are close enough together, then, you know, the, the imaginative exercise... I mean, obviously, I think it's a contract between... There is definitely a covenant of expectation between the viewer and me that they want me to make stuff up. I don't think they want... You know, well, I only want, is, it, is it substantiated here, here, here? You know, we have to make some sort of leaps of the imagination about how people were feeling. You know, like, did she really feel that way about Jackie Kennedy? I don't know, but I think it's reasonable to assume she might have done. And uh, um, and maybe sometimes I get it wrong, you know, because they aren't friends of mine. I don't ring them up and say, did you feel this way about that one? <laughs> um, uh, uh, and, and, and I want to keep my distance from them. So uh, they're entitled to their privacy and to their objectivity and to their, and to their deniability. Um, you know, so it's tricky all that. The other thing I'd say about your process is, which is really interesting, having worked with many writers over the years, is that Peter involves you as producer or, or the script editors or the research team on on almost as the as he's writing it, he involves you, and that for a producer, uh, it's not, I, I find that immensely rewarding because you're in, you're involved, you're invested in. A lot of writers will just take the take the take the idea, take the. The, the, once the script has been mapped out and the, the beat sheet's there and they go off and they disappear and you go, okay, I'll see you in a month or I'll see you in six weeks or sometimes eight months. Um, but with Peter, you're in all the way he involved you and in that, that, so that creative process is immensely rewarding. You'll give, you're rewarded back every single day and that's probably not just once a day, that's probably four times a day and that isn't because Peter's needy, it's because... No, it's a really interesting process, and 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 it means he exposes himself uh, on the page and says, "Is this working, guys? What do you think?" And you go, "Jesus Christ, I've just been knocked sideways by that scene," and that's or, frequent. Or, yeah, or, or, or you know what? I don't believe that, Peter. I don't yeah. believe that, and we push back at him. But that for a for a creative team is, I cannot tell you how rewarding that is. Thank you. Hello, what's your question? My question's for Vanessa. Um, so Margaret has a lot of incredible outfits throughout the two seasons. How many of her outfits were handmade and how many were originally vintage? And do you have a favourite? Um, most of them were handmade, actually. And it was an incredible process for me because I'm not particularly stylish and I never had a relationship to clothes other than picking them out of my drawer at the bottom and the back of it. It's Peter, you always comment on Um <laughs> what is that um but uh so it taught me a lot and actually it was an amazing again part of the uh, the the gift of this job which was margaret would have had endless 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 fittings and sometimes we'd have four or five for one dress or something and we'd look at a picture of her and michelle clapton who was on the first season was amazing at looking at something and going okay this is what margaret this is her now can we find what her internal life is and, and try and use the costume to express that? And it taught me a whole new thing about a costume. It's not, it, for me, a costume will never ever be now just um, a representation of this period or something that's, oh, well, it's from 1950, so I should wear it. It's always got to be reflective of what somebody feels unconsciously or otherwise of putting that piece of material on them, particularly if they're someone who cares or maybe someone who doesn't, and that always comes into it. So with Margaret, we'd find things like, in the scene where she first, you see her kiss Peter Townsend, she comes down the stairs and she's got this amazing sort of like 
strapless flowing pink thing and and michelle said we, we we read that she used to margaret used to walk down the corridor and like swish to check that it swished properly you know and so we we wanted to make sure that when she came down that she was going to do something really bold and romantic and she thought was incredibly a big you know a profound moment in her life and so we always tried to take the costume and, re- and reflect those things and in season two when she's kind of like messing up the whole room we spent ages didn't we ben finding the right robe um <laughs> Because all the robes were super colourful, usual Margaret things. So I was like, she's not in the mood to even select one that's 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 vibrant and that's um, upbeat in any way. So we were really specific. Um, one of my favourite costumes in the end was, um, I think, it, it, that one you saw in the in the photography scene when she goes upstairs and she's wearing this little lace thing and um, it's like a new kind of Margaret and. We, Jane was bringing, who's costume designer the second season, was bringing all these new costumes, and I was like, no, I think it has to be like she's going to Tony's house deliberately. Like Margaret never does anything by mistake, and um, she's going with an intention of of not seducing him, but she wants him to like her somehow. She didn't know why, but there's this energy between them, and so um, I wanted something that was revealing, but not not too much or gratuitous in any way. And so we found this little lace material and we started building it and then we tried some trousers on we thought no maybe she's going to put on a skirt because she wants to look appealing to him but not you know give a suggestion of sensuality without ever being yeah gratuitous or sort of like uh obvious um and and that was i remember saying god this is really this is like half the episode she lives in this costume so i really wanted to find something that felt like it was reflective of how she was feeling about herself and it's the first time in season two anyway that she started to come out and feel like and herself again or started to feel um yeah like she was coming out the shell that she'd gone back in and the first half of season two we chose things that were quite mute quite dull for her anyway because she wasn't feeling herself and she's yeah didn't want to express that do you have a favorite that was an original that was a vintage yeah. one that was a vintage coat yeah it's so good, isn't it? I know. I think Jane found it somewhere. I have to ask her where. And I went, yeah, I'm happy to have that. I don't, know what, I don't know how many dresses you had made. I know on season two, Jane had, I think, 120 dresses made for Elizabeth. So much so. When we were, I think we were, when we were sort of shooting and were two units actually at the same time, I think she had her own van taking basically just the Queen's clothes around the country. Because wow. it was so too confusing that she would be on sort of two sets in the same day. So we would basically, she had her own dedicated costume truck that would take Everything these, everywhere. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I all handmade. What was really cool about them is about the, the gift of having Margaret and Elizabeth is that Margaret would never do it, would never wear anything Elizabeth would. And we established that really early on. I think there was one time when, in episode nine when they're <clears throat> with the horses and Claire and I looked at each other and I was like... <gasps> you've got my scarf on and I've got yours on. And we were horrified. And she was like, give me that dull brown one. <laughs> it's like, give me that vibrant, that bright red. And we took it back. Um, and sometimes, because Jane was joining the second season, as Michelle had done the first one, um, sometimes she'd, she, I'd come in the mornings if we hadn't fitted something and I'd try it on. I'd be like, oh my God, Margaret would not be seen dead in this, I'm telling you right now. And the Claire would be like, that's my skirt! Um, so it became like a, a wonderful thing of like making sure that they were always in opposition because that's how they defined themselves in a sense. Did you draw that, by the way? It's amazing. Oh, that's that's amazing. so wonderful. Thank you. Any more questions? We go, if we can, um, we've got a couple of mic. Oh, there we go, right there. If you can just pass the microphone to the bu- behind you here. Yeah, go for it. What's your question? Um, I, I know you sort of touched on it a little bit, but I just kind of wanted to get a sense of um, what you saw in Olivia Coleman really for, for for the Crown, and then also how you're going to or how you are finding her, Philip. I mean, are you, are you is she is she reading with other actors? Because um, clearly, you know, that was such a key part of the first two seasons. You want to replicate it again? So. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, with Olivia, you know, I mean, now, you know, the ages of the Phillips and, you know, it, we're going to really pretty established actors now. And so you can't do that. Can you come in and mess around a bit and can you read? And, you know, these are all, you know, really, you know, people with, they've, they've been working now for, you know, for some time. They, you know, They'll tell you to shut up and get get stuffed if you go up to them and say, "Would you come in and read with us?" You know, so so you have to make offers, um, and so the I think we all felt that Olivia had, you know, uh, something 
that that corresponded you know that both just that ability to be both plain and dazzling and and mm. and, and to be both knowable and unknowable and um there's a sort of every woman there's something very connectable um uh, and and yet you know quite anonymous about olivia and uh so we all i think we all were excited about her uh, and then we rang her up and she said yes on the phone. <laughs> and, I mean, we, we don't even want to meet or anything. No, it's fantastic. I've just crashed my car. Um, <laughs> um, I, and it was weird because we rang her on the day that she had just watched it. We, well, she had just watched it with her. Um, and, 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 uh, and apparently her husband had said, uh, Claire Foy is so good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, but uh, uh, she, she, she said yes on the spot and so uh, uh, we're slightly cat- normally it's a big old palaver and you know talk to the agent, talk to this person and it was, it was all very quick it was one phone call uh, and now I've spent some time with her and you know it's exciting uh, but, but we're just starting the process so I, I wish I had more to report um, we've got a microphone here, I believe. Hello, sir. Hi. Oh, I don't think... Oh, it is on. Um, fantastic. Um, mainly a question for Peter, I think. So you obviously have a really good sense of what's coming up for the characters who you're writing about. Is there anything that you know is on the horizon um, that particularly intimidates you to write about or that you're especially looking forward to tackling? Well, I, I think, I think you, just, you know, it, I... I I haven't. I have yet to enjoy the moment of thinking, of feeling confident um, uh, about anything. You know, so I think you just. I just feel overwhelmed and nervous is a sort of default condition, and I stumble through life feeling overwhelmed and nervous. And uh, I, I gather there are, you know. <laughs> pills you can take that will change that uh but then i might just sleep all day long and and i i you know that's how i feel about the show and uh and that's but that i don't the biggest challenge for me is is all the time just sort of thinking uh of just misjudging it you know i I think that it it's it's such a um i think of the show as being i describe it as a hemophiliac uh, and that if you touch it too hard in the wrong place, it'll bruise. And that by that I mean, you know, uh, we're in such an area of responsibility where you are, where you're writing stuff. Where so, for example, Tony Blair in, in the years after the Queen, I, I've, I've read his autobiography, and his memory of his audience scene with the Queen was a transcript of the scene that we had done with Helen Mirren and he wrote the autobiography afterwards and you get then into a strange cycle of memory or not and and I as a child had made up uh, I mean it's just, I don't mean this to get dark or anything but uh, 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 that something had happened where I felt that I'd been responsible for something which of course I hadn't been I was just a child and I projected my own responsibility into that moment but it's very like that what you know, if if you if you um, if you start to make an you know an act of the imagination about certain relationships, about certain moments in history, to offer an explanation as to why people came to a decision or why they did something, um, and you shortcut it because you have only got an hour in which to simplify something like the Suez, you know, conflict or something, right? Um, y- I feel the responsibility of that and whether I'm misjudging it or whether I've oversimplified it or whether my version, which I'm happy to offer, say, is my... It's, this is just me having a punt, everyone. I'm just, I'm just guessing. Gets taken too seriously or, 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 you know, because once it's on a screen, it has a way of becoming its own history. And, and in the way that... We all, when we have a conversation, if you then ask someone what was said in that conversation, their memory of that conversation is corrupted, and that memory gets passed on, and that memory gets passed on, and so soon you have a whole new history that I don't want to be part of creating bogus history. And so that part slightly spooks me. Have you got time for two questions, please? 
Um, can you pass the microphone just behind you, please, if that's all right? And there's a lady in the middle there as well, please. Can we get the microphone to the lady in the middle? Thanks. Hello, sir. Yeah, my, my question is really about pitching it to Netflix. You know, you've made films uh, for, for cinema and you made them for television. So what made this difference and when did, it, when did that process start and what makes it so different? Because it fits so well, I think, on Netflix. What was that relationship and how did that work? Well, I mean, we, we, we went and we did, you know, we went like a bunch of, you know, chances. We went to L.A. and we went to about five or six different meetings and, and some of the meetings, you know, just, in, just chemically in the room, they didn't feel as good as others and, and the meeting in Netflix happened to just have a very positive energy. And I think that we went in at a time where they were just considering their own international expansion. I, we weren't aware of that. And I think it was... I mean, I've gone... In, most of my life, I've gone into rooms and told someone something that I'm really passionate about, and they've just looked at me like, could you have come in with anything else? You know? <laughs> um, uh, I really want to do a story about a conversation between David Frost and Richard Nixon. People just like, you know, it's... A, it's, a, it's a, and this felt... You know, this, I, this... I actually, for once in my life, walked into a room and told told a group of people something that was part of what they could use as part of that corporation's policy. You know, it, it actually made sense to them. Oh, someone's coming in with a story that has international appeal at precisely the moment that we are expanding, it, you know, it, our operation on an, uh, internationally. And, and I think for them, the Crown is an important driver of their international subscription basis. And, and for me, the reciprocally, it was like to do a show about something as traditional and old-fashioned as The Crown and to remain incentivized and energized while doing it, it was exciting to have Netflix be the place to do it because it was groundbreaking and because I could then think, like I was saying to the gentleman earlier on, about you know, comp when, when, when trying to work out how, how people are going to be watching this, what the rhythms of viewership are now, how are we consuming stuff, how are we, how are we processing it, how are we digesting it. And so it felt like very traditional subject matter, but in a very progressive medium that says that's right at the heart of where we're changing and how we're changing. You know. Thank you. And then a lady with a microphone. When J.K. Rowling said she was going to write seven books, she sort of had an idea at the end where she was going to go. You decided to do six series, mm. Mm. two seasons, three seasons. Do you know where you're going to end? The Queen being as um, the age she is and still going strong. And uh, we, have you the thought about... being that she lives to 360. 360. Uh, so uh, have uh, you uh, thought about that? Uh, I, 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 to be honest with you, I didn't think it would be as tiring and as overwhelming as it is. And, and I can't think beyond just doing the two seasons that we've done right now, you know, that we're doing at the moment. I, I really can't, actually. It's, uh, <laughs> as soon as Donald Trump walks into Buckingham Palace, no, no, it no. <laughs> falls to the ground. Please, uh, God, no. The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> it, I, I, really, I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't even imagine doing Diana. I couldn't, I can't, you know, I can't even think like... I, I, it's, uh, He's got a heist movie to write. I've got a heist movie to write. <laughs> For me! For Vanessa! <laughs> um, thank you so much for your generosity and your time tonight. It's been thank absolutely you. lovely. Thank you guys for being here tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Really appreciate you being here. Could we have a round of applause for our wonderful <laughs> filmmakers? Thank you.